Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are back today and guess who else is back? It's Sam. And Sam, you've you've got some news. Oh, I knew you were going to do this, Ollie. I knew you were trying to embarrass me. Um, I went on holiday. <laughs> Sorry, <Sam. laughs> um, No, I, I also got engaged. Um, on holiday. Thank you. That was I, the most miserable it. clap and cheer <laughs> in the world. But congratulations. I, mean, I, I appreciate the clap and I appreciate the che- uh, the cheer or whistle. Abby, your silence was deafening there. <laughs> Abby didn't even. There was no uh, facial reaction. She was like, <laughs> I knew it was I, I, coming. I, 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 you told me on the weekend you were going to buy the ring. So yes, I'm very yes. happy for you both. Thank you. So hang on, hang on. Abby knew, but I didn't know. Ooh. <laughs> right, that's the topic for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it just, we're in a meeting, it came up in conversation. So I was trying to keep it as close to my chest as possible. So no hard feelings to anyone else who wasn't told, okay? Yeah, you should have announced it on the podcast and just hope that Sarah didn't listen. She doesn't listen. Oh, no, I think it'd be a good test. She almost certainly doesn't listen. Um, so, yeah, I could easily do it. But she might overhear me recording the podcast, so to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I, I am, of course, very excited and it is very good news Um but yes, I'm not one to be like, oh, look at me. So thank you, Ollie. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm red in the face. Luckily, this is just an audio uh, podcast. Okay, well, we've got uh, Abby and James, as you can hear. Uh, how are you, Abby? I'm okay, thank you. I'm a bit under the weather, but it's good because all four of us are finally back recording together. So We are indeed. And James, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Uh, a five out of ten on the McKenzie scale. I'm not engaged. I'm not ill, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> We're going to do our ratings of how we are. <laughs> You're a father, though. Oh yeah, five point five. <laughs> oh yeah. At least it didn't go down. Um, okay, right. Well, since the constructors' championship is signed, sealed, delivered, we thought we would carry on the the championship, but this time with the destructors. So this is uh, essentially a championship um, that is held on Reddit. Um, it, and I need to give credit to Base Pro Twenty Four. Chevy, who puts together these stats. Now, this is to do with crash damage. How much has each driver racked up over the season? 
So I'm just going to run through the previous winners of the Destructors Championship. So in 2019, it was Album, and he had $5.4 million of crash damage. He won that year. Uh, Sam, your face. <laughs> it was a tough one, that. I mean, it's also pre-Cost Capybara. Yes. So I think we need Big to... Difference. Yeah. And also different cars, potentially more expensive Okay, well, I'm, I've watched your reaction over the next I'm defending few. Alex Albon. <laughs> so in 2020, it was Grosjean with $3 million. None of you look particularly all, surprised. All in, yeah, all in that one crash where, you know, yeah. we know what happened there. Yeah. Um, now, we had a double champion for 21 and 22 of Mick Schumacher. Um, in 2021, it was $4.9 million dollars of damage and in 2022 it was 3.9 so there was a saving there of a go. million better yeah. yeah how did he beat mazapin because mazapin was so slow that his crashes were nowhere near as <laughs> damaging <laughs> i can only assume i mean uh, he, I d- he, he spun off in fp1 first the cor- first corner didn't he or was it the first and then in no, the race, race the first yeah, yeah. Was first corner of the race but yeah. in fairness that was just a spin yeah there was mm, little damage to that yeah, because yeah, as I said, you need a certain amount of momentum to get to the actual barrier. But this is how it works, right? So uh, I'll I'll fill in this part for Ollie. He's the the guy who runs this has done basically the the best he could to find the equivalent worth of each part of the car for yeah, on average I assume because yeah, I'm sure it will vary a little bit from team to team. But yeah, for for the listener, just to, as a, a Ballpark reference we've got front wing is around $125,000. A monocoque is 675 Front suspension, 125 A wheel is 5000 Side pod and rear suspension are both about a hundred grand. Uh, additional chassis. We've got floor diffusers, 225 Gearboxes, half a mil. Cool, half a mil. Uh, electronics, 50 Brakes, 25 And brake drum deflector is ten grand. Not to mention all the sellotape used to steal the various yeah. parts. Yeah, like that, that's a good like 25p. As, oh, that's why W. H. Smiths are still in business. It's the only <laughs> yeah. reason I can come up with. Yeah, and the, the other thing, power units are not included in these costs just because of the complexity of trying to work out what a power unit actually costs. Yeah, I like in his little like note there. He's like, it, power unit ignored due to lack of understanding of cost structure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be really complicated. What's a Mercedes engine worth to McLaren? What's it worth to Mercedes? Um, it would be a bit complicated. Renault maybe. one's probably the cheapest in it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still live in France, mate. Careful. I know. <laughs> um, so, topping the table, topping the championship, and I'm pretty sure he's he's on route to win it. Um, is Logan Sargent? So he has already amassed 3.9 million dollars of crash damage. Now that is the same as Mick Schumacher for the whole previous season. Um, down at the bottom is Verstappen with 220k. Now, I was just working this out. The price of Sargent's damage is 18 times more than Verstappen. That's crazy, right? We haven't even had 18 races. I guess when you don't put the car on the wall at all, it's going to be pretty low. It's that kind of... You can see how it escalates quickly. It's a virtuous circle, isn't it? Like, yeah, he doesn't have to push as hard. He's driving within himself so much of the time because he is so in sync with the car. Whereas Perez in the sister red ball, yeah, above two million already. So 
They're currently taking bronze in third place. Well, exactly. You know, that doesn't look good. In fact, I think that looks worse than Sergeant's, to be fair, um, in some ways. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting list. I think the thing for me is the top three, Sergeant, Stroll and Perez, if you were to question any driver's future on the grid of F1, those are the three that we're automatically drawn to. Those are the three that everyone has questioned this season. Will Perez still be there in 2024? Will Sargent live for another season other than his rookie? Will Stroll stay? Or kill him? That's very drastic. <laughs> I know it's the ripple. <laughs> um, but, geez. but those are the three drivers that there's questions hanging over their futures in F1. So it, it's interesting that they're the top three in the Destructors Championship. And also, historically, that's played as well. Schumacher has lost his his seat and seemingly has a very limited way back to the grid. Grosjean lost his seat after 2020. And Albon had a year out. Admittedly, I think it was after 2020 that he did. So it was a year deferred, but still. Yeah, I mean, it definitely plays a part with Logan. I think we touched on this when we were, were speaking about him in the race review. Like... In the cost cap era, as Sam said, it 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 is a big part of it now. You it, you don't necessarily have to be the quickest straight off the bat, but you have to not cost the team, you know, take up budget, incredibly valuable budget from the team, and and that's what uh, Logan has to sort out. But it's so much of it has come in the last few races. He did 1.5 million worth of damage in Hungary. Obviously, we know he's crashed out in in Japan as well in, during practice and qualifying and the race. Was it all three? Um, but he didn't have any. The first four rounds, he didn't cost a penny. And then USA 125 and then nothing in Monaco. It was all going so well. And with Sargent, it's all risk and no reward. Like, he has no points on the board this season but he has cost the team so much whereas at least with Perez you can look and be like okay he has cost the team a lot but he's still second in the championship and Red Bull have managed to get the constructors this year so it's also weighing up that risk versus reward and for Sargent he just gets nothing out of it and it's just silly mistakes that keep cropping up for him I think as the pressure mounts right it's starting to creep in more and more. And as we saw last year, as we have seen with Sargent through his junior career, he is clearly a confidence and a form driver. He gets into these patterns where he's making these mistakes. So he needs, and we know that he has a mistake in his, you know, in his, in his repertoire arsenal. I don't know. Locker. Not, locker. Yes. That's a better word for it because the other two suggest that it's something that you'd want to use. Um, but yeah, he, that we know that of him, but we know that he is also very, very quick. I think it's that mental aspect of, as Abby used to say, there's no, there's no rewards company. He hasn't, when he is getting it right, he's not getting what he needs. And mentally at this point, getting that point, we saw in the early summer, he was getting close. He's had a couple of 11th place finishes. That hurdle is so, so key. Even getting into Q3 in Zanvoort, wasn't enough to break that loop. It's got worse, if anything, since then. 
Yeah, it's weird because, you know, I was saying when he wasn't costing money early in the season, that's also when he was probably closest to Alex. Early on, you know, you, you get, it looked fairly promising. He was within a tenth of him, I think, at, at the first few qualifying sessions. He he would, would have been quicker in uh, Saudi Arabia if he hadn't got the track limits violation, which I think cost him getting through Q1. He, and then, yeah, like you say, it, it's like he's added pressure to himself and it, it's just going all wrong now and he's crashing and getting further from Alex despite you would expect him to be getting closer as the season goes on so if we look at the top three we've got Logan Sargent as we know at the top 3.9 Lance Stroll in second 2.6 Perez with 2.4 by the way these are millions of dollars Um, and then the bottom is Hamilton 525k Alonso 350k and Verstappen 220k I feel like that quite clearly represents the best drivers of this year at the bottom and like Abby said previously, the ones most at risk. Do you think that actually crash damage and the cost of it is actually quite a good metric to look at who's performing well and who is a top-class driver? Because if you look at the top three and the bottom three, it quite... I don't think there's much debating that those are the... (laughs) It separates them quite clearly, doesn't it? It does. And I think, obviously, the ones that have cost the least, they have the better cars and like you say the top three they are more experienced and all world champions but i feel like there is a clear correlation because those further down there's more eyes on them in my opinion on whether they'll stay in f1 so there is that added pressure on them which could like sam said pressure definitely plays a part with Sargent, and i think it has with perez this season as well and stroll he's like compared to alonso there is a massive difference in the two of them, but their season started off very differently. But yeah, I think it definitely does, it does convey which drivers are performing better and are stronger on track. And so how much does this impact the team then? So we've got Williams with nearly 6 million quid of damage, Mercedes with just over a million. How much do you think that will contribute to the rest of their season and what they can spend their money on and their their future development? It's probably one of those things. We know that they budget for a certain amount of damage and they'll leave themselves a bit of leeway probably either way. So I imagine it gets to the towards the end of the season and they think, right, we've got, you know, two million quid of crash damage that we haven't used. I don't know. What do they do with that? Is it too late? Can they catch the end of the, the budgetary year to to do some extra, you know, because the wind tunnel is is limited anyway, but... I mean, you know, they're F1 teams who used to spend, you know, five to ten times what they are now. So I'm sure they'll find a way to to spend some money on it, not just uh, up the catering budget. Well, you've also got to imagine their forecasting is incredible, that they can, month by month, they need, they know which markers they need to hit mm. financially. And you can then kind of, you know, forecast exactly what you can spend in certain scenarios. I imagine it's incredibly complex how they do it um but yeah abby as you say kind of you know there's a correlation there but it's also causation right it's a it's a catch-22 for these guys you probably cause more damage because you're someone who needs to prove themselves and then as that gets worse you kind of get yourself into this cycle in this never-ending loop where you kind of can't quite get out of it you need a real lucky break and you know You've got yeah three drivers up there who have had poor seasons. Uh, let's face it. Um, 
So yeah, it's. Uh, but I think it's a it's a really interesting conversation, isn't it? And it's not something that ever was a consideration before the cost cap, really. Like, I mean, you know, to bring it back to the Albon amount that we discussed earlier, that's a huge difference between some of the figures that we've seen full seasons for say 2021-2022 obviously we're not quite there with 2023 2020 fewer races we can you know put a pin in that one but that just shows how much drivers are having to work within these these limits and how much teams are having to kind of go you know what actually we're not going to throw the newer parts to you we're going to use the ones that we have left over so on and so forth and we've seen that with Williams Sergeant has been running lower spec or you know, less developed cars at certain points of the season, including in Japan, because he had clearly they've run out of parts. They or they don't have, they don't want to invest in it. They they haven't. So that accounts for some of the performance gap and so on and so forth. So there's all these different. It's a multifaceted thing that causes a, a disparity in in performance. And yeah, that cycle then continues from there. Okay, all right. We're going to take a quick pause and then we're going to talk about what we think we should do with Logan Sargent. Okay, so as we've spoken about, um, Logan Sargent has cost Williams 3.9 million in crash damage. That is four times his current salary. So there has been a huge amount of uh sort of social media commentary saying they need to get rid of sergeant it's not working out um obviously the more that they spend on crash damage the less they have to spend on other things we know that um now there are some good drivers available for williams at the moment but it seems like james vows is sticking to sergeant now i was thinking about this and this is one i want you guys to sort of talk about but when you've got liam lawson who has proven what he can do he hasn't really put it in the barrier at all, and he hasn't got a, a race seat for next year. Isn't that quite a safe bet to get someone still young, still someone who's going to develop their career, and put Liam Lawson in into the Williams? On performance alone, yeah. I think that's a, a strong argument. But there are other factors. Like, he, he's a Red Bull driver. Chances are Sergio Perez doesn't see a new contract with the team post-2024. So one of the AlphaTauri guys is highly likely to move into that seat, thus making a seat available for Liam Lawson there. So why would you invest a whole year on a driver when he's just going to leave? Like, well, I just don't see the point. Whereas you can, with Sergeant, invest a second year. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and you move on. If he does, though... You prove your, and this this is where it's bigger than Logan Sargent. You prove your point. You are the anti Red Bull. You kind of stick it to the rest of the grid, and the way that things are going, where you get one and dones, and you get, oh, you know, halfway into the season, he's not performing. Let's move off him. No, you're going. Actually, we're going to do this the traditional way, the proper way. We're going to give him time and invest, and we're going to say something much bigger than just this driver in the process. And I think with Lawson, at the moment, there is no pressure on him, really, because he's, like, now he's not fighting for a seat and he's driving in Super Formula, which is completely different to F1 and that. And if they were to go with him, I feel like 
what happened with DeVries could happen again because he came in, he had a weekend in the Williams. He outshone his teammate at the time. Everyone was really impressed with him. He scored points. Everyone thought it was amazing, deserved an F1 drive because he was a Formula E champion. They put him in an F1 car full time and it didn't go quite to plan. And like you say, Sam, for Williams, I feel like it's better for them to keep Sergeant, invest in Sergeant, help him develop for another year. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does, then that's good for everyone. I think you could swap with Lawson, but I think the best thing for Williams is to work on Sergeant, who was in their driver academy, who they chose to come into F1. And yes, he hasn't done like that well compared to Albon. He's cost the team a lot, like we've already discussed. But he seems the most, not safe option, but the most logical one for the team at the moment. Yeah, from Lawson's perspective, yeah, it would definitely be a risk for him. We don't, we've seen how drivers, some drivers can adapt to whatever car they're in, some not so much. He's probably better off sitting in that reserve seat for a year and then coming back to a car that he should be familiar with and has so far done well in. Uh, yeah, and now I take that point because the other options, we've got Felipe Drogovic, you would be going on to another rookie then. Do they then, yeah, produce the same mistakes that Logan has this year? Drogovic is almost the kind of the in-between candidate. Mm. Because I think if, if we're looking at pace, Lawson takes it. He's more experienced. He had longer in F2 than Sergeant did. And they lost kind of, they were t- they were in the same Carlin team. Um, teammates is, is an unfair word, I think, at that level of points because you're not working together. But Lawson did beat Sergeant over the season. Only just a strong weekend in, in Abu Dhabi to, to seal it. But Lawson ha- was unlucky. Lawson could have, and in the early part of the season, was a championship contender. So I think, yeah, you go with Lawson. But Felipe Drogovic is, isn't tied to Red Bull in the same way. It doesn't look like he'd be alone. He'd probably cut ties with Aston Martin, you've got to assume, in, in that racing, scenario. Yeah. yeah. And he's a, he was an experienced champion. A third season in, F, in F2. And he's a little bit older. He's, what, 22, 23? he's interesting. He's really, really interesting because is his ceiling higher than Sargent's? It's difficult because I'd say probably yes, but then also he had that much that much longer in F2 where Sargent had the single season. Where would season, where would Sargent be by season three? He wouldn't be, you know, that would be the end of 2024 to compare. So again, it's all these different, things it's 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 comparing kind of you know two different things what's that common well, you phrase would say apples with apples, apples. but yeah apples and, <laughs> apples and oranges apples, apples and oranges <laughs> that's the thing you know you can tell i said that by the way why can't those be compared well you it's difficult comparison but i think drogovic is potentially more interesting but i just don't see williams moving off sergeant so soon having made such a point of it over the year yeah, I feel like James Vowles is a man who's also, I feel like you can probably take his word. If he's saying, right, we're going to keep him. He's in his first season as team principal. I don't think he's then going to go and completely go back on it. I just, I don't see him as that type of guy. I mean, I don't know him personally. I haven't been out for dinner with him, but that's just the impression I get. Also, a lot of the criticism that is levied against Sergeant is based on his uh, 
and again to compare with Lawson and Drogovic is based on their junior record and Sargent's record is much more impressive than it at first suggests this is a guy who ran Oscar Piastri close for the F3 title then through funding issues had to spend another year in F3 and actually move down the grid in terms of relative performance in a spec series uh, to Sharoos still finished seventh in the championship and won a race in Sharoos those who are learned in the the support categories know that that's no kind of you know light feet that is a you know a strong year that he's had there moves into f2 and is immediately strong he finishes fourth in the in the championship is the best rookie of 2022 so it's a it's a much stronger record than people i think maybe given credit for yeah definitely i think it's just the need of you know f1's permanently online fandom to have someone to to crap on to be honest it was De Vries and he's gone and it's like well it used to be Latifi we need someone else to be the butt of the joke and it's rec- it's recency bias like you say like yeah he would had a very very solid junior career and looked to be doing pretty well and you almost wonder you know we said how his season's kind of gone downhill you wonder if it is an effect of the fact that everyone on social media is having a pop at you I mean, they aren't oblivious to this. As much as drivers say they won't pay attention, like, we know they do. You can't escape it. Well, also, it's, it's not always just social media, is it? It's maybe an outdated yeah, reference. Media. But it's that, you know, you, you, yeah, you walk past the newsstand and you see, you, you know, yourself on the back pages or, you know, maybe the front pages because they're easier to see. I don't know what it is. But, like, you know, you've heard drivers in the past say, oh, yeah, I know some of you in this room wrote this about me. Mm. Lewis Hamilton did it quite recently, actually. But a question for you guys. In the last couple of rounds, it's appeared to kind of ramp up. And it started over the weekend in Danville, and it's got worse since, it feels. Does the presence of Liam Lawson, someone who you can directly compare Sergeant against from last season at Carlin, is that part of the issue for him? Is all of a sudden he he's not the least experienced F one driver on the grid? I, th- I think it's and also. I mean, has scored a point already. It, it's also Oscar Piastri. I think that's adding to this because he's he's coming. Yeah, he had a slow start, but that was that was the car. But he's performing so well. He's also in his first season of Formula One, and you're looking at Logan Sargent, who's also in the first season. And if you're if you're looking at the two, you think, well, if this guy can do it, um, and then you think, okay, well, he's in a Williams, but then you, the next step is you compare him against Albon. And if you're deep into Formula One, you know they're running different setups and different spec. But when you when you do that sort of comparison, of course you're going to think, why is this guy here? Um, and uh, James, I think you just mentioned Nicholas Latifi. He was at Williams for two years and he was the joke for two years as well. So I feel like it's it's always the guy who finishes last and seems to crash all the time. People are always going to pick on them. And it just has happened to be Williams drivers, hasn't it? Well, they were perennially the back markers, weren't they? So it's it's more likely. I mean, you think, yeah, he's, he's second in the championship, but you'd have to ask, is Perez having a you know relatively worse season than Sargent? Same for Stroll, maybe. You know, yeah, okay. Uh, Sergeant's been whitewashed in quality, but nonetheless, 
it, it's probably comparable, but the person who gets, yeah, put as the butt of the joke more often than not will be the person who's closest to the back. It's just the way it is. Yeah, but you make a good point in terms of its perception, also expectations. That then the expectations for Sergio Perez are so so different for what they are for Logan Sargent and Lance Stroll as well in that conversation. You, no other driver gets stories about potentially them going to off to play another professional sport. <laughs> like yeah. that's damning the people are, whether it's fair or not, and I think probably they're unfair. It must be difficult to have people openly saying, we actually don't think you give much of a crap. We don't think you're committed enough to be good at this as if being an F1 driver isn't good enough uh, in itself. But it, it, it also brings up that question of how many careers are too sh- are shortened or lengthened based on where you get in, into the sport, which team, how they're performing at, every, at any given time. You know, it's switch, switch this round and put Sargent in the McLaren and people, Astri in the Williams. How's this? How how different is that? Is this season looking? It's you're never going to know because you can't replay it with those different variables. But you know, we could be sitting there going, "Well, Sergeant, you know, he hasn't quite got a podium yet, but he's on the cusp, and he's not that far off Lando Norris, who has been very, very good and was went toe to toe with Carlos Sainz and absolutely demolished Daniel Ricciardo over two seasons. So Logan Sargent's looking pretty good right now. Oscar Piastri. Oh, he's level for Alex Albon. Maybe this Williams isn't actually that bad. So on and so forth. You get my point. All right. Well, let's end it there. I feel like we could have just just talked F1. We could have gone on real tangents today, but we have discussed the Destructors Championship and um, the Williams drivers and George Russell and Lewis Hamilton and, yeah, lots of things. Um, but we hope you've enjoyed the episode. Sam, welcome back. It's nice to have you have you here. You can tell that I haven't spoken to you guys for like three weeks because I'm just like throwing things like just guys, let's talk, please, just like just no structure. So I hope that that wasn't awful for you to listen to, uh, Mr. and Mrs. and Ms. and everyone viewer. Um, Abby, I know you've been quiet. I know you're not feeling well, but thanks for being here anyway. Thanks for having me. Feel better soon. And James, thank you pleasure as always thank you we will see you next time for more f1 chat about anything thanks for listening goodbye you're listening to the come to the race podcast it's lights out and away we go sports social podcast network